Here's a baseball trivia question for you. Which father-son duo is the only father and son to hit back-to-back home runs in a Major League Baseball game? I think I heard the answer. On September 14, 1990, Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. playing for the Seattle Mariners, Mariners hit back-to-back home runs against the Angels. The father batted second, the son batted third, the Mar- Mariners won 7-2 to two that night. Like father, like son, right? You may not hit a home run in a Major League Baseball game, dads, but you can be a, an all-star dad to your children when you raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Much has been written about and researched about the, the impact of a dad who is, is present, has that, that strong ministry of presence, about the dad who, who is hands-on and, and totally involved in their children's lives. Involved fathers, for example, have a direct impact, studies have shown, on their children's futures. If you want your children to turn out like, a, a, like, like you picture them turning out, then you need to be involved. Take a look at this research. It's in your notes. <clears throat> We're going to put it on the screen. That illustrates the impact of involved fathers that they have on their children. Children who grow up with involved fathers are more likely to, 39%, more likely to earn A's in school. 45% less likely to repeat a grade in school. 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school. Twice as likely to go to college and to find stable employment. 75% less likely to have a teen birth. 80% less likely to spend time in jail. And you see the footnote on your, uh, the link on your notes of where you can go and, and read more about this. Two weeks ago, I preached from Genesis 37 on God loves your family. And as we looked at uh, Joseph's messed up family, we saw that his passive father, his hands-off father, had much to do to contribute to the chaos of that family. There is no perfect family. And there is no perfect dad except for our Heavenly Father. But we stressed two weeks ago that the Father sets the spiritual tone. The Father sets direction and must give direction through His leadership and through His example. Let's pick up on that thought today, and I want to just uh, go back to some basics of family as we go to the very beginning, as you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're also going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 6 rather. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 in just a moment. So let's review the basics of family as we read chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then let's jump to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. 
chapter 2 of Genesis, beginning in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, uh, out of the, ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that's what it was named. That was his name. So Adam gave the birds, gave the names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Well, what do we see here? First of all, remember... God's design for the family. Sometimes it's helpful just to go back to basics, isn't it? The Bible opens with God creating the heavens and the earth. And the crowning moment of God's creation was when He created man and woman, as we see in verses 26 and 27. The fact that God created them in His image refers to their capacity, our capacity to have communion, to have communication have intimacy with God and with one another. God created us for the purpose of relationships. We are relational creatures. We are wired to need each other. We are wired to need each other in the family. We are wired to need each other in the church family. We've talked about that. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how important it is to be the family of God, to be the body of Christ. We need each other. And He also created us with a spiritual nature. He created us. He wired us. He he, he put a, a vacuum in our lives, a vacuum in our souls that only He can fill. And He desires for us to have a personal relationship with Him, to commune with Him as our Heavenly Father. Now, God put the first man and woman together to create the first family. He gave them work to do. He put them together to work together, to enjoy each other, and to bear and raise children. As he said, be fruitful and multiply. The family was God's idea. It is a divine institution that God blessed and announced, as he did all of his creation, that it was good. In 24 and 25, let's read those again. Chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. We find four timeless principles that God instilled in His divine institution. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. What do we see here? Instituted four uh, four principles into that first family that gives our families today in the 21st century strength. There is the principle of severance. We leave behind our family of origin and we build our own God-centered family. We still relate to our families, of course. We still have an interaction with our families, but they are not our number one priority any longer. Our first responsibility is to our spouse and then to our children, the principle of severance. And then there's the principle of, of permanence. 
God's intention from the very beginning was that families, that marriages last a lifetime. He encourages us. He commands us. He desires for us to to have that, that commitment that sticks through thick and thin and builds the marriage. That, that was God's design before sin entered the picture. And then there's the principle of unity. Shall become one flesh speaks of our togetherness, speaks of our, our, uh, our oneness. We can be one when God is central in our lives. If I'm the God of my life... If I'm sitting on the chair of, of uh, lordship in my life instead of Jesus sitting on the chair of lordship in my, in my life, then there are going to be problems because I'm going to be selfish, I'm going to be proud, I'm going to be arrogant, I'm going to be hard-headed, I'm going to want to have my way all the time. God has to rule the family. If, if the family's going to have unity, we can be one when God is central in our lives. And then the principle of intimacy. We were naked. They were naked and, and, and were not ashamed. God's ideal is that man and woman have a great relationship in which, in which God is honored, in which there is physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. Now think about the importance of this passage and this dynamic. Think, think about God's instituting the family, this divine institution. Before God ever said much about anything else, church, school, government, society, living in society. God instituted the family and gave the family top priority. So what does this say to us? As the family goes, so goes the church. So goes society. So goes our world. Strong families are important because the family is God's idea. In a story about some of the worst Mother's Day gifts ever given, the Houston Chronicle reported a story about Jerry Maltz giving his wife an iron on Mother's Day. He thought he was being funny, but he was also given a hint. So what do you think the wife did with that iron? Now don't go too far in your imagination here. When Father's Day rolled around, the wife gave Jerry an ironing board. (laughs) What statement was she making? She may have been saying a lot, but here's what I got out of it. Hey, we're in this together. It's going to take both of us. We live in the same house. We live under the same roof. We, 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 we work. We have responsibilities. We have all this going on. And, and we've got to work together to make this thing work. And that's what God intended for family members to do. God's desire is that every member of a family work together, share together, pull together, build harmony together, strive for Christ-centeredness together. Are you living out God's design for your family? Are you living out God's design in terms of, of permanence, severance, unity, intimacy? Are you working together? Second, practice God's love within the family. Two weeks ago, we talked about how much God loves your family. We talked about God's love for your family. And God loves your family, blemishes and all. Again, we said there are no perfect families. 
There are families whose family members, when they come to Christ, are saved by the grace of God. And uh, even when we mess up, God is still there for us. In addition, God's love, God's very special agape love is the glue that makes the family stick together. That's what holds the family together. Good old-fashioned, unconditional covenant love that is based on God's commitment with His people. That's what holds our families together. God's love is a love that will not let us go, that believes in us, that is sacrificing for us, that, that is totally unselfish, that is always forgiving and always full of grace. And families are called to practice that kind of love. God never says, hey, when you get your act together, then I'll love you. God never says, hey, when you're good enough, when you've done enough, then I'll love you. You have earned my love. That's not how He works. God loves us anyway. God loves us in spite of us. That's who our good, good Heavenly Father is. He loves us. When we are practicing God's love, then we will love one another unconditionally, sacrificially, looking out for the best of the other person. Remember, God's love is agape love. That love that doesn't first look out for number one, but that love that, that looks out for the best of the other person. You've, you, you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, this description. Love, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. That's a Greek word that means arrogant. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. You know what that phrase means? Keeps no record of wrongs. That's tough on the human front, isn't it? I mean, what, what do we want to do? We want to pay back. We want to take that iron and throw it at him. That's what we want to do. I don't want to give you any ideas, but anyway. Love bears all things. Well, let me back up. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love lets each person in the family know that he or she is, is accepted for who that person is and is wonderful because of who that person is. This, this love shows no partiality. We said two weeks ago that one, one of the reasons Jacob's, fam, Joseph's, well, Jacob's family had such a, a hard time was because he showed such partiality to Joseph. And, and the other brothers resented it. And of course they would. Anybody would. That's, that's human nature. We need to demonstrate love and tell family members we love them. It's important to verbalize it. You don't want to regret not saying, I love you, do we? And hearing you say, I love you, gives a boost to the one to whom you, you say it. When we verbalize, I love you, your, your children will remember you saying it long after you're gone. Not only do we demonstrate it, not only do we show it, but we say it. God's love is powerful when expressed in the home, when lived out in the home. God's love makes all the difference. Have you noticed how love can transform somebody's life? You may have heard me talk before about Clifton Frizzle. I thought about this story when I was preparing this sermon. He was a member of Pastor Gerald Harris's church in South Carolina. You may remember Gerald Harris is retired now. He's editor of the Christian Index. He's 
preached revivals here. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Frizzle was about 50 years old. He'd worked all his life. He'd never been married. He'd saved every penny he earned. He lived with his mother until she passed away and then continued living in the same house that his mother had owned. It was just, it was just a simple old frame house. Unfortunately, Clifton had done nothing to maintain the house since his mother's death. The yard was full of weeds and tall grass. The gate was barely hanging on the the hinges. The house needed so much work and painting, and the steps were that were going up to the front porch were in so much disrepair that you almost took your life in your own hands just to go up to the front door, stepping on those steps. Clifton drove an old truck that's probably 20 to 25 years old and needed a paint job. The door on the passenger side was held together with a rope. Harris knew that Clifton worked for the DuPont Corporation for 25 years, so he, he knew he had a decent salary. It's just that he was, just, he was either miserly or he just didn't care. Well, Clifton was a very faithful church member. He was there Sunday morning. He was there Sunday night. He was there Wednesday night. He, he uh, always sat on the back row. Harris didn't know if he gave to the church or not, but he, he certainly didn't seem to spend any money on himself. Well... Something happened to Clifford. A widow moved in next door. And Clifton started noticing this lady next door. She was a lovely lady. She was probably in her 50s, somewhere in her 50s, very friendly. Harris drove by Clifton's house one day and noticed he had fixed that gate that had been needing fixing all that time. He, he had uh, touched up the fence. He was having his house painted. And within three months, the house began to look like Man, the best-looking house on the block. In fact, the showplace of the, the community. Everyone was talking about this change in Clifton's life and I, how, uh, how much interest he was taking in his house. And then one Sunday, he drove up to church in a, in a brand-new Buick. And then two weeks later, Harris saw Clifton coming into the church with this widow lady on his arm. He didn't sit on the back row. He sat up front. And Harris noticed he was wearing a, a new suit. He was wearing a suit to begin with, and it was a brand new suit. And not too long after that, Clifton asked Harris to do their wedding ceremony. What happened to Clifton? Love happened to Clifton. Now, that's the falling in love experience on a human level. But God wants us to fall in love with Him. Because He loves us. He cherishes us. He treasures each of us. He treasures your family. And He wants you to practice His kind of love in the family. How, how is God's love practiced in your family? How did you put God's love to work in your family last week? How can you put God's love to work and demonstrate God's love in your family this week? But not only that, third, follow God's plan in your family. In his book, Family is Still a Great Idea, H. Norman Wright wrote, just because intact families are fast becoming the minority, should we abandon the ideal? I believe God's plan and desire are that a family unit include both a man and a woman, faithful, healthy, and together for life. It can happen and does happen. But I also think we should eliminate the phrase, Wright, uh, Wright's broken family which attaches a negative stigma or a label to a person or a family. And this is important. Listen, no matter what state your family is in, 
You can be whole and healthy. People in all kinds of varied circumstances can demonstrate the healing and refining power of God at work in their lives. Listen, whatever situation we find ourselves in this morning, whatever category we fit into, uh, your family can still be a Christian family that is Christ-centered and God-honoring and, and that can demonstrate uh, the love of the Lord, that serves the Lord. It's just a matter of priority. It's a matter of focus. So start where you are this morning and build a stronger family. How? Well, I invite you to turn over to Deuteronomy very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And look at this passage of Scripture with me for a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out into the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth." What do we see in this passage of Scripture about building a strong family, starting where you are, and from today forward, strengthening and and creating an even stronger family? Well, first of all, God's place is established. God says He wants no other gods before Him. He's an intensely jealous God. So we as parents have to stop right now and just ask ourselves, is there an idol in our life that we need to eliminate? Is there something or someone in our life that, that, uh, that we need to prior- reprioritize? Because God demands first place in our hearts. And then we are commanded to teach our children the uniqueness of our home under God. Teach the children about God continually. Make sure they know the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. This home is a Christian home, and the Lord is our God. This truth is foundational to a strong Christian home. God's place in the home and the family is established. And then it's established day after day after day. We continue to say, God comes first in this home. If you want to make your family stronger, then this is where you start. Where's God's place in your family? Where's God's place in your life? Not only that, second, God's Word is taught intentionally, deliberately. When the kids are small, of course, you can bring out the children's Bible story book at bedtime. I've got a couple of great recommendations from writers, friends that I know who have done a super job with with newer Bible story books. 
we uh, read God's Word together as a family. We, we learn verses together as a family. That, that's, that's important. Today's families often expect someone else to teach faith to their children. Listen, what we do on Sundays is important. You need to have your children here, your grandchildren here. You need to be here because that small group Bible study experience that we're going to have in just a few moments at 11, 10, that is so, so very important. But let me tell you what. We are, we are supporting you, parents. You are on the front lines six days a week. We only have them for one hour on Sunday morning. We have them on Wednesday night when you bring them. We have them during vacation Bible school. That's an intense time. Uh, uh, what, two hours this year times five days, you know, ten hours that we get to teach them the Bible. But you're the one. Don't pawn that off on somebody else. You need to be teaching God's Word in, in the home. The Christian faith must be taught and reinforced in the home seven days a week. You teach the Bible. You teach the Christian life in word and in deed. You read Bible stories to your child. You, you let them see you reading your Bible. You memorize Scripture with your children. You pray with your children. What intentional steps are you taking with your children? Also, not only is God's Word taught, but finally, God's ways are followed. That's what was being said here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We expect you not only to teach, not only to pass down the faith, but you are going to follow God's ways if you want to be honored, if you want to honor God, and if you want to build a Christian family. You must follow God's ways. If the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, and then we don't make the effort to get our family to church every week when we can be present in worship, then folks, we are not following God's ways. If the Bible says, pray without ceasing, we don't give any attention to developing our prayer life, then we're not following God's ways. The Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that, so that uh, I, can, I can bless you. We're not following God's ways. We need to be sure. If, if the Bible says to, to, to read and let God's Word be your, your milk and your meat to nurture your life, and we neglect God's Word all week long, then we're not, we're not uh, following God's ways. If we're commanded to forgive and we insist on, insist on holding a grudge, then we're not following God's ways. If, if we're commanded to be kind to one another, and we're irritable and we're grumpy and, and, and mean-spirited and impatient, then we're not following God's ways. God's ways must be followed. If we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit so the Spirit can bear His fruit in and through our lives and empower our lives with a strength that is not our own, the only strength that can sustain us, and we are not being filled with the Holy Spirit, then we are not following God's ways. And dads, through all of this, you're the one setting the pace, setting the tone to lead your family to follow God's ways. What steps are you taking to be intentional in your family life, to lead your family to follow God's ways? Are you, are you following God's ways in your own life? Are you setting an example that helps set the tone and the direction in your family? Someone wrote, my father is a Christian. He leads his household well. With instructions from the Bible, right behavior he'll compel. Yet he steers us with compassion. His gentle love is true. He conforms to our Lord Jesus so we'll know just what to do. He teaches us with purpose, guides us in all godly ways, 
So we'll take the right path and serve the Lord each day. I'm glad you're a Christian, Dan. You help me see things clearly. I'll always look up to you and love you very dearly. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. A good, good Father who loves us, who's there for us, who saves us when we turn to you in salvation, who forgives us when we turn to you in confession, who promises to provide our every need, who calls us to trust fully and completely. Once again, Lord, we pray for our earthly dads. Lord, give us the strength, the wisdom, the stamina, the endurance, the perseverance to run the race in a way that pleases you and to be the dads that you want us to be, that you desire us to be, that our families need us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.